Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 162 of the Rough Cut Retrospective. I am one of your hosts, Jackson Meharan. Hi, how are you? Hope you're doing well. Along with me, uh, I'm not sure I agree with him 100% on his podcast work there. It's Carter Sims. Oh, you betcha, hon. <laughs> how you doing, pal? I'm great. I'm excited. Back to RCR Top 100 territory, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm excited. What are we doing today? Yeah, today we are discussing the famous Fargo of 1996, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Joel Cohen, which we'll get into later. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun episode. I did a lot of research. and uh, But first, Carter, tell me something, boy. Tell me something, boy. I will. I watched a ton this week. Um, where do I want to start? Uh, May, December, I fired up on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lauren and I checked that out. Really good. I really enjoyed it. It kind of like took some turns that I guess I wasn't expecting. And I want to say without spoiling that the ending is like Tar-esque ending. Ooh, okay. I'll say that. Um, but really good. Awesome performances. Riverdale's Charles Melton. Wow. What a guy. It's just I, like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I, well, he was on Riverdale. And I just mm. want to say that I think we've learned over the past couple of years that if you put great actors and shitty stuff, you, they can actually act. Charles Melton, Jacob Elordi. Like you see all these people like just want to break free and do good stuff. So mm-hmm. watch out for, uh, I don't know, the Cole Sprouse renaissance, maybe. I don't know. Um, the Dylan Sprouse renaissance. I mix them. Up that's all, where it's at. I mix them up all the time. I, st- I still couldn't tell you. Um yeah, so there's that. Uh, I checked out the holdovers, which I had been nice, yeah, holding off on for a while because, ha, pun intended, because uh, Lauren and I were going to watch it, but her family has demanded that that be their Christmas movie, so I watched it without Lauren. Um, <laughs> and Evil. Uh, she told me she gave me the go ahead. I was being a really good boy, but I did it. I watched it. It's really lovely. It's just like a nice Christmas movie. Warm hug, vintage. Nice. Paul Giamatti, baby. What a guy. Um, so that was wonderful. Uh, friend of the pod, Jake Milwitt, and I went to see Saltburn in theaters. Nice. This was a wild experience. Um, there's just a lot of moments where you're like, oh, and you'll be like, oh, <laughs> you're like, oh. So all of that happens. I don't want to spoil the movie because it's really quite a trip. Um, some really fun performances. Um, great stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm kind of like in the middle on it. Like I don't love it's it. It's getting mixed, I, right? Like I feel yeah. like people are kind of like split. I can see why people like it, and I can see why people hate it. So I can. What see did, we drafted sides. it in uh, the Cody and Corbin Oscar thing, right? I think I you and what... I did cinematography. I think. Yeah. Which I How still do you feel think... about that. I feel pretty good about it still. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be the only nomination that movie gets maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. It's do trying to say a in... lot and doesn't yeah. really get there. But what can you Would do? Would a movie like Saltburn, if it's only going to get one nomination, do you think, are they more like, I don't know. I guess what I'm asking is like, are there typically movies that only get one that's not like a screenplay nomination? Uh, last year, 
uh, Empire of Light was a movie that people were like high on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it only got cinematography. Okay, interesting. Which was like, okay. a, it was Roger Deakins. So that kind of yeah. explains that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll talk about him today. Oh, yeah, we will. People <laughs> forget. I love Deakins. Uh, so yeah, it could happen. Like it does happen. It happened a couple times last year. So we'll see um, what happens with that. But the best watch I watched this week, I think, was Godzilla minus one. Where yeah, I'm so jealous you got to see this. It's nowhere near me. Last last podcast, I got off the pod and I said, I think I'm gonna run to see Godzilla minus one and saw it in like Dolby Digital, just around sound. It was awesome. And it was also packed. It was like a fan event. I didn't realize when I was going. And oh, that's awesome. And it was awesome. Like people were applauding Godzilla. It was sick. It was really it was really great. So was that one of your better theater experiences? I would say this year, probably one of my yeah. like, probably top five up there with Oppenheimer and Barbie and Killers of the Flower Moon was up there too. I saw that Godzilla minus one is like ranking above Oppenheimer for some people. Uh, like maybe on Letterboxd even it's like rated higher for like narratives for this year. Do you think there's a narrative people? where people are like, before I answer, do you think there's a narrative where people are putting it above Oppenheimer because like, yeah, you actually did show us the Japanese destruction that you didn't dare to show us in Oppenheimer. And then you're like, okay, calm down. Because um, Godzilla, boy, does he tear up Japan. I'll tell you that. So It is cool how that, that I mean, it's not cool. It is interesting how something so horrific spawned like Kurt Russell playing in an Apple TV series. Yeah. Like, I, like that, like stuff like that is so weird when you get to it. That's an, it's such an interesting genre of like movie monster to spawn out of such yeah. a horrific thing. I do want to check that out too. I've heard good things about Monarch. That I've heard show, good things too, yeah. But it's just so drastic to see like Godzilla minus one and then the trailer for the Godzilla and Kong movie that came out yeah. this week and it just looks really goofy. <laughs> Soulless. So I don't know. It's it's crazy. I wouldn't put this above Oppenheimer, but it's mm-hmm. it's up there. It's definitely was a really like worthwhile experience. So yeah. I would recommend it if it comes to, I would imagine like it comes to max or something like that. So that I would check sense. it out when it comes to streaming. And then um, my last one is that just for the first time I watched blade this week, I'd never seen oh, it. Sick. And it was like, I watched it and I was like, will Marvel dare to do something like this. Like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> it's so gnarly. And like the rave gory. scene is crazy. Oh, it's it's such a wild opening, and it's yeah. very '90s effects. Like when he mm-hmm. stabs them, and they turn to to dust, and you're like, "Is that the movie where they have the quote of like everyone's trying to ice skate uphill, motherfuckers like, trying to upskate or <laughs> ice skate uphill?" And you're like, "Wesley so Snipes is absolutely <laughs> eating this up." Uh, so that was I, I had a good time with that. And do you think Mahershala can top the performance? Um... I think, I mean, I think so. I think he can get up there with it, but I just think, what tone do you do? Cause it just depends on the tone of the movie. Cause yeah, what he's doing, do you lean into? Yeah, what he's doing in this movie is very camp and it goes with the tone of it, but it's so like righteous too, like the so gory and really fucked up. And I don't think mm-hmm. Marvel would do that, but maybe Deadpool can pave the way to maybe. I was just thinking how Ia DaCosta would be a fun person to try uh, another Marvel movie. With Blade, like that could be kind of neat, and that's up in the air, right? With uh, whoever's doing Blade now, or yeah, I don't think there's. Somebody? I don't know if there's someone attached to it. Well, they're still right in the script, so yeah, yeah. I don't think there's anything to be attached <laughs> to yet. To be fair, so uh, yeah. yeah. 
but yeah, that's all. That's all I got this week. Uh, I guess that was a lot. Um, what about you? Yeah, I I have so little. It's hilarious. Um, I've been rewatching Game Changer on Dropout, which is super good. Totally recommend getting it. It's a cool little like college humor turned streaming service. Um, it's pretty good. They make good good, uh, content, so go support them. Love that. Um, and then I finally am trying to knock out some of the movies that I drafted for our. Uh, fantasy filmography to get some bonus points so i got around to checking out indiana jones dial of destiny and oh boy uh yeah yeah firmly middle of the road i would say yeah phoebe waller bridge is cool i love her her character's Um, good her character's good did you like antonio banderas show i loved i loved that uh (laughs) amazing uh it's also so funny how in the trailer they're like give him hell indiana jones and then like in the movie it's like kind of a gag because he gets almost hit by a car like just walking into the airport Great stuff. um does it lose you at the end so much yeah uh not only like i was talking to jeff about this and he was saying that he would have preferred for indiana jones to stay behind in 400 bc and i think i don't agree i think all of that was so dumb and the fact that they were even like considering <laughs> leaving him there to die of dysentery within a week uh was so dumb i hated that uh but i think the action sequences were good the mm-hmm. cgi for de-aging was so bad that oh the whole I wasn't intro even, scene yeah i wasn't even convinced if he was actually like there or if anyone was there if it was just like a cgi model that they were like acting against because it looked that bad like i don't know it was we gotta stop doing that we just need to Um, agree as a society to stop doing it yeah just re. i mean i get it i don't know i feel like if this was a video game uh people would be far more forgiving because the the sequences are cool like Mm -hmm. really cool yeah and there's some there's enough heart the story is just kind of not so great and and i think the indiana jones stuff like de-aging him and doing all that would feel less disgusting if it was just like a video game and you had him voice his lines yeah. or something. I don't know. I don't think he would uh, agree to do video game voicing, but maybe for that character. Would it have been better if it was Shia LaBeouf in the intro scenes? I loved, no. Um, <laughs> I loved the fact that they canonically killed him. Oh yeah, that was quite <laughs> like, a... That was so funny. <laughs> uh, it wasn't actually funny. They, it was a good scene. It was just but... what a swing that was. Yeah, yeah it was like, it was... oh, okay, he's he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> So Tremendous silly. stuff. Uh, um, I mean, I guess, yeah, yeah. Did you catch up on fun. anything else on your list? Literally, literally nothing else. Um, right. I think, uh, I think Dream Scenarios in theaters right now near me, so I might go see that soon. I'm yeah. worried it's going to be gone by the time I get around to it. Yeah, I'm trying to get um, to that too. Yeah, but, but I did see that Max just made a deal with A24 to like have exclusive rights to all their movies when they leave. I saw that. Yeah, so that'll be nice. So you could get all those, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Sweet. nice. Yeah. Anyways, I'm ready for my close up. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close up. Woo! Today we are discussing, as I mentioned before, Fargo. Once upon a time. Looks like she's gonna turn cold tomorrow. Yeah, you got that right. There was a salesman called Jerry Lundergaard. Oh, okay, real good then. Who always dreamt of striking it rich. Wait, have you had a chance to think about that deal I was talking about, those 40 acres there in Wayzata? Jerry, we're not going to just give you $750,000. No, no, but see, I... (laughs) 
So, we all set on this thing, then? You want your own wife kidnapped. <laughs> now, her dad, he's real well off. So, why don't you just ask him for the money? Han! <laughs> <laughs> Wade, it's Jerry. I don't know what to do. It's something hard, jeez. It's terrible. But in a place called Fargo... Mr. Lundegaard? I'm a police officer from Mount Brainerd, investigating some malfeasance. Anything can happen. How's Jean? Who's Jean? Ah! My wife. Oops! With all due respect, Jerry, I don't want you mucking this up. What the heck do you mean? No Jean, no money! Who are you? Circumstances have changed, Jerry. What the heck do you mean? Blood has been shed, Jerry. Here's the second one! I want you to tell me what these fellas look like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. Can you be any more specific? He wasn't circumcised. Geez, that's a good lead. Yeah. From the creators of Barton Fink. I'm cooperating here. And there, there's no... Uh... And Raising Arizona. What do you fellas got yourself mixed up in? Oh, jeez. You're there in 30 minutes where I find you, Jerry, and I shoot you, and I shoot your wife, and I shoot all your little children, and I shoot them all in the back of the little heads. You got it? <laughs> you should shoot the other guy. Oh, jeez. Fargo. End of story. In 1996, directed by Joel Cohen, not the Cohen Brothers. This is technically a Cohen Brothers movie, but this is not a co-directed feature by them. Uncredited um, Ethan Cohen. He is a co-writer and he produced the movie. So take that with what you will. Uh, he has co-co-writer credits, but he did not direct it. Um, and some of his other movies. He's not credited as director, but but it's, yeah. it's a Coen Brothers project, I would say. Yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, a description. Here's a little tagline for you. A lot can happen in the middle of nowhere. And then Jerry, a small town Minnesota car salesman, is bursting at the seams with debt, but he's got a plan. He's going to hire two thugs to kidnap his wife in a scheme to collect a, hef- a hefty ransom. From his wealthy father-in-law. It's going to be a snap and nobody's going to get hurt until people start dying. Enter police chief Marge, a coffee-drinking, parka-wearing, and extremely pregnant investigator who will stop at nothing to get her manned. And if you think her small-time investigative skills will give the crooks a run for the ransom, you betcha. Nice. <laughs> That's beautiful. Did you write that? I hope uh, so. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the cast includes <laughs> William H. Macy, Francis McDormand, Peter Storm Stromare, which we, I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We did enough. tried to cast um, him last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Buscemi, uh, Harv Presnell, and John Carroll Lynch, who I also talked about last week. I think did as you? an honorable mention for somebody. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, love that guy. Uh, a box office. A uh, report shows that we had a budget of seven million and a worldwide box office of sixty million dollars. Nice, yeah, not too bad. Uh, Carter, when was the first time you remember seeing this movie? Uh, the first time I watched this movie was when I got my wisdom teeth taken out. Oh. I re- I remember it vividly. Uh, well, as vivid as I could because I was. <laughs> hallucinogenic a little bit also but what a trip it was watching it for the first time i just had it up on my laptop in bed watching this and i had the like the the bonnet around my face with like Mm -hmm. the cold presses so i was a puffy puffy guy so yeah i think that was the first time and i think i went on like a coen brothers like marathon during that time i think it was the first time i watched lebowski Mm -hmm. and the first time i watched uh, maybe no country maybe 
But mm. but yeah, I kind of went on a, a tear then. I rewatched it since. Obviously, I rewatched it for the pod. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can say it, it, it holds up. It, it's still the fe- same feelings I had for it. Maybe even increased as I've matured yeah. and learned more. So yeah, what was the first time you watched it? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. It was actually pretty recently, uh, sort of. Uh, the first time I saw this was my senior year of college. Uh, we went to our buddy, friend of the pod, Jeff's house or his apartment. And me and my buddy, Evan, who's also been on the pod, mm-hmm. uh, we checked it out. Uh, it's Jeff's favorite uh, Coen Brothers movie, or at least at the time it was. And we all Love thought that, that was kind of interesting because we all kind of, at the time, at least had very different favorite Coen Brothers movies. But um, it's just a testament to uh, how much how much stuff they got yeah their catalog is wide deep. and very deep so there's <laughs> yeah. a lot so yeah yeah um what are your initial thoughts on fargo carter uh re-watching it this time my initial thoughts were that this is just like it's seven but friendly it's just like <laughs> it's just like less grizzly it's just like all these guys meandering through life and there just mm-hmm. happens to be this murder but everyone is so polite and it's just like i don't know it just it's like about the mundaneity of life and when like something ex- exciting happens in it like the whole town's just like kind of has this uh, we'll talk about it more and like kind of what works but just like the vernacular and the tone mm-hmm. of, of everybody during this is just really neat and that's held up and the dark comedy of it all is like mm-hmm. this is, is like the closest movie coen brothers movie i this and like no country for old men are pretty similar in my brain and like the lessons they're they're mm-hmm. teaching obviously i think no country's a little darker yeah not as fun um but this one is just a uh, fun all the way through and i think just partially it has to do with the accents of these people which we can yeah. get into later but yeah those are, those are my initial thoughts what about you yeah for me um so this was like the second or third time i've watched it Mm-hmm. and before i had it like a, a four and then rewatching it now i was like okay this is at least a four and a half for me on letterbox and then the more i did the research into this movie the more i was like falling in love with it and i think this has become a perfect movie in my eyes like i hell yeah i love it it's so good mm-hmm. um i'm really excited to talk about the cinematography with roger deakins later um but the shot composition is some of the smartest stuff I've ever seen mm-hmm. uh, in in movies. Uh, it's it's some of my favorite stuff. And yeah, we'll talk about that later. But it was really, really fun. Beautiful. Cannot yeah. wait. Yeah, let's move on to a little time capsule discussion in Great Scott. Great Scott. And let's look back on the year of 1996 to get some, uh, you know, get, get a look into what the time the zeitgeist was. Uh, so Fargo released on March 8th, 1996, the same week as two interesting movies, Birdcage, which I love. And I don't know if you've checked out, but really, really good. Really fun. I checked it out uh, like two recently ago, right? for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super cool. And then Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, other movies released in 1996 include Mission Impossible, which is insane to think about. Crazy. Uh, Happy Gilmore, Scream, awesome. and Twister. Ooh. Which is one was one I a, weirdly watched a lot as a kid. That was a big box office movie, I think, Twister mm-hmm, was. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
What a year. I was almost born. What a time to be alive. Some popular songs of 1996 include Pony by Genuine, Holy which is cow. insane. Uh, no Diggity by Blackstreet and What I Got by Sublime. Just wow. True bangers. That's the 90s um, right there. And then there's some really interesting uh, current events of 1996 as well. Uh, the, there was the big North American blizzard of 1996. I feel like our parents talked about that at some point growing up. Uh, A pro pro to the movie that will be. Yeah, discussing. exactly. Nice. Um, on top of that, Ted Kaczynski, a.k.a. the <gasps> Unabomber, was arrested this year. And also something kind of interesting, uh, the first images, sur- the first surface images of Pluto were captured on the Hubble Space Telescope. Mm, lots of icy related trivia there. Mm-hmm. And like Pony that. by Genuine. Yeah, he's still raking it in with Magic Mike, man. I'll tell you <laughs> what, good for him. It's a banger. Um, going into the pre-production of this movie, uh, the Coens initially considered William H. Macy for a smaller role, but they were so impressed by his reading that they asked him to come back and read for the role of Jerry. And according to Macy, he was so persistent in the role saying, quote, I found out that they were auditioning in New York still. So I got my jolly, jolly Lutheran ass on an airplane and walked in and said, I want to read again because I'm scared you're going to screw this up and hire someone else. Wow. Which is awesome. Uh, Bill. Yeah. He got it. And and he's amazing. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, Fargo was filmed on location in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and northeastern North Dakota, um, though not actually in Fargo or Brainerd, um, which is fun. Uh, and also, like, all the snow was, like, fake because it was, like, the warmest summer of 100 years or the warmest winter of 100 years. Wow. And so uh, they had to, like, move to, like, other places where, like, there was some snow and then they added, like, fake snow on top of it and a lot of that, which is kind of interesting. Sheesh. Good for them. The 24-foot Paul Bunyan statue was built for the film and dismantled afterwards, so it's not actually uh, anywhere oh, there, which is a bummer. Um, and then my other big pre-production thing, uh, before I get into something else, is that Fargo premiered at the 1996 uh, Can Is it Cannes? Cannes? How do you say it? Can Yeah. Uh, film Festival, where it was nominated for the competition's highest honor which i assume you know what it's called because i don't know how to say it the palm door yeah the palm door nice uh and yeah joel cohen won for top directorial award which is the nice. pre de la maison scene i know maison scene sure there you go yeah. oh yeah maison scene yeah <laughs> we know uh, film terms yeah, yeah yeah um and then before we got into it I really wanted to talk about the based on a true story bit just because I find that to be really fascinating and I'm sure we can talk about that in other aspects later. But um, for those who don't know, the film opens with the following text and it shows up. It says, this is a true story. The events depicted in this film took place in Minnesota in 1987. At the request of the survivors, the names have been changed out of respect for the dead. The rest have been has been told exactly as it occurred. Which is such a banger intro. Like really everyone, I feel like everyone just leans in uh, reading that, which is amazing. That gets uh, the dads however, excited. Yeah. The da- the dads, that's a true story. True story, you say. Uh, however, uh, the closing credits uh, bear the standard fictitious person's disclaimer, uh, which means that none of it really happened. Um, however, there is uh, 
like on the DVD commentary for Fargo, it is stated that at least uh, one scene was inspired by the 1986 murder of Danish American stewardess Helle Crafts. Ill? I don't know how you would say her name. Uh, whose husband was murdered, who, whose husband murdered her and disposed of her body with a wood chipper. So that's like oh. something that is like from real life, kind of, but like very I mean, loosely. That's the most jarring. Yeah, one of the most jarring parts of the movies and like the conclusion. So the fact that that part is the real part is, but it's like kind of the real part. Like it's like a a true ish thing. Yeah, or something someone did. It's crazy, um, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, but none of the other stuff. Didn't really happen. I'm sure it could happen. You know, it's not like that far fetched. But uh, but yeah, kind of kind of an interesting thing where people just assume true stories are true stories, um, which is awesome. Of course, who's gonna do research other than you and I? On yeah, a exactly. It, so. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Um. Sweet. Let's move on to you did it. Congratulations. You did it. Congratulations. Uh, Carter. Actually, I want to start off really quick with what I think works really well. Take it. Just because I feel like we should do it first. And I think the poster goes so damn hard for this movie. Yes. It needs to be discussed. The stitching. like I. So Abby loves this poster too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, have you ever looked at the poster? Like really looked at it? And she's like, what do you mean? And I zoomed in and she was like, no way. And it's like the poster, the Fargo poster, which is like mm-hmm. all white with some red border. And you have the corpse and the flipped car. And it's all like stitched. It looks like it's like a quilt, um, like in a home sweet home type deal, which is so, so great. Oh, I love it. I love it. it. I mean, so it much. has the the needle and everything. Yeah, the and it's the so good. I feel like a lot of people maybe don't notice that, but oh, love it. And it's just the stark con. Like that's right there. It's just the movie and the poster. The stark yeah, it's, contrast. It's of, the tone of yeah of everything and yeah. 100%. And even that, I like even had that, and and maybe this can be as we open up like the Deacons conversation, maybe. Yeah. But like I just had like, you know, that shot of like, just these such these jarring like overhead shots of like just this blank white yeah. landscape, and then there, there there are scenes where you know you'll see this guy and laying dead in, with a red jacket in, yeah. in the abyss of nothing, or you'll see. Uh, Jerry pulling into the parking lot. There's no cars in the parking lot, and it's just this emptiness and the the depression that some of the characters face in this like wasteland. Yeah, here, and yeah, let's get into it. Um, let's. Uh, yeah, I feel like something I want to talk about really quick too is just like the Coens and their projects that they choose. Mm-hmm. Like, I love how they pick these like corners of United of the United States and create these like mythic folk tales. Like in a modern age, and it's so cool. It's so intimate and personal. Like no matter where they are, Mm -hmm. I feel like they like know it. They get it. They understand the people, and it's just so good. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of like all of their movies, and like every single time, it's just so cozy and real and fun and specific. It's so specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like inside Lewin Davis, they tackle that that time period. The the Greenwich Village. Yeah, yeah. They get that just right, you know. Mm-hmm. The no country for old men. They get kind of the Texas desert feel mm-hmm. in the in 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 the kind of that same time frame. All these things, you know, Big Lebowski. You get the bowling culture and all that. Mm-hmm. It's just like they're just so specific with things and and yeah. how they set things up. And it's just, yeah, it's like if you don't know much about it, you can do whatever you want with it. So I think mm-hmm. they do a good job of doing that. So yeah, the Coens are. They're unique filmmakers. I yeah, miss them totally. together. I can't wait for them to yeah. kind of reunite. Yeah, the last one, because uh, 
Joel did uh, Macbeth, right? That new Macbeth one for A24, right? Right. And, and then, then Ethan did like some documentary or something. Yeah, I think he did a um uh who was it? I think little not little Richard, but it was some like some singer documentary. Okay. I can't remember who it was, but I'll think of it. Cool. Um yeah, so I kind of wanted to, yeah, to to talk about you know, their directing style combined with Roger Deakins who is like like what's that Formula 1 driver who like beats everyone by like a ton of stuff and like he wins everything and he's the best one and everyone like obviously knows he's the best like that's roger deakins for cinematography <laughs> like true. it's not a competition um he is like the guy um and just like the way that they work together and like you you mentioned like their devotion to like starkness mm-hmm. is so special within like their filmography and so they have like these large like you know because it's like it takes place in like the the midwest during the winter it's everything is these big white canvases with like little tiny specks of people or or like unpleasantries and it's Mm. just like even like not only like the landscapes but the dialogue itself is so simple and but also very real but like so simple and small town and small folk but like and just like the contrast that you get between that and like the crimes that happen in this movie are like are so interesting. And I I, I think like very much the point of the movie, but it's just yeah. so so amazing. It's just uh, by the way, Ethan, I didn't mention that Ethan Cohen is Drive Away Dolls. That's his movie that's coming mm, okay. out in early. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of their separation there. Um yeah, just to just like go off that, like everyone is so the the scene that really set kind of sets it all for me is like when Marge gets the call from the mic guy like at 10 45 PM and like mm-hmm. no one like is mean or rude or doesn't hang up the phone. They're just like, well, how the heck are you? Like that just <laughs> happens. The the whole movie. It's like, everyone is so nice and kind of tiptoeing around each other and just all, even like the phone call, like Jerry has with like the loan agency about the serial mm-hmm. numbers. The first time everyone is just so nice talking about, Oh yeah, that's okay. Uh, you betcha all that stuff. So yeah, just the stark contrast of all of that, just meandering through is 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 lovely. So yeah, piggybacking off of that scene too, because there are some shots I want to talk about and how they do framing so perfectly. But that sh- that scene you're talking about, where the the guy is like essentially accusing him of like fraudulent or what is it, embezzlement, the s- probably the serial numbers on the yeah, the license yeah, yeah. Or, or like he the like cars. made them up basically to yeah. get a loan, mm-hmm. and uh, he's being accused of the crime and the camera is like pushing through like the office window and the blinds are coming down yeah. and they look like prison bars and oh it's just such <laughs> it's a good shot deacon's baby. it's so crazy but yeah does, i want to oh yeah. go on no i was just gonna say did like do you think like any like regular schmo would be like name a cinematographer other than roger deacons like no i don't think anyone could <laughs> like i barely could like it's yeah. just kind of crazy how you know, he's just set the standard and like people like kind of know who he is. And he's been working forever. Ever. And he just got his Oscar like five years ago. But he's been nominated like Which one a, was it for? Uh, Blade Runner. Uh twenty four runner. Twenty four nine. Nice. Um, so yeah. And then he got another one for nineteen seventeen, I believe. Um so yeah, he's still too, he's yeah. still making bangers, man. So it's great. Great stuff. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Back to you. <laughs> oh yeah, I just really wanted to talk about the way and this is what sold me from a four and a half to a five star from, for me personally, mm-hmm. the way he depicted every single relationship via like how it was framed. So yeah. for example, Norm and Marge, who are oh. the happy couple of the movie, 
Yes. Anytime they are shown together in a scene, they are always in the same shot mm. every single time, uh, whether they're in bed or eating Arby's or having breakfast before they decide to go to work. And that scene where it's like it's like that wide shot and he's still at the table and she walks around the table, goes down the stairs and you can see through the door her get into her car and then come back. Yeah, is so good. Like they are never outside of the frame. They are comfortable together, and whenever she's talking, um, with her friend in with her old friend in Minneapolis, uh, I forget his name. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. Um, she like he tries to get in the frame with her and like sit next to her, and she she's pushes him out and pushes him out of it, yeah. which is just so so good. But on top of that, we have uh Jerry, who is William H Macy's character, who is truly just like at the end of his rope. Like the contrast between uh margin norm of them always be at the same uh in the same shots he is always isolated or put on the outs uh mm. with his family and it, and the the framing tells so much about everyone's dynamics within like the relationships too and there's a great moment there's a couple great moments that I'll talk about really quick um when William H Macy is pitching to his father-in-law and his business partner mm. uh, there's a moment where William H Macy is in the same frame like in an over the shoulder shot uh, as we talk to the father-in-law, but then as we learn that they're like cutting him out of the deal, the framing switches to show him and his business partner, not William H. Macy. And then every time we see him, there's no more over the shoulder shots of the other guys. And he's just by himself too, which is so neat. Freaking genius. And I love that so love much. That. And then I'll just talk about one more thing just because I'm, I'm being annoying. Oh no, nerd um, out. That's what we're here for. Then whenever Marge comes to interview him and like interrogate him, the first time or the second time? Um, I think, I don't know. I don't remember right now, but it's mm-hmm. one of the times. It's probably both of the times. Yeah. Um, She, whenever like the camera is on her, he is still like, it's an over the shoulder shot for him. So you still see him in the foreground of, of the shot of her. But every time it's the shot of him, he is alone every single time. It's not an over the shoulder shot. It's a close up shot. To show that he is still like alone in every scenario possible. I just think that's so, so good. Also, Beacons. Sorry. One more, one more, one more. The goons that we have, whenever they're shot, it's not <laughs> an over the shoulder either because they're not really good friends. It's always just like shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot, which is interesting too. Um, there's some cool stuff there. Can we talk, since you kind of teed it up, another yeah. thing that works for me is just the uh, the rapport of Stormare mm-hmm. and Buscemi. Just they're so good. Two are great like they immediately build up the tension that eventually leads to the the wood chipper-ness of it mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. like right from the beginning he just my guy just wants to go to the pancakes house and, and he's like no we just had pancakes for breakfast we're not well, i want a steak <laughs> uh just also i gotta say really quick too i turned to abby whenever i re whenever re watching this movie i was like is steve buscemi a hot guy in this <laughs> Like he has like this Pete Davidson like grime to him that I feel like would really sell in today's market. I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like everyone would like really like Steve Buscemi. I mean, I love Steve Buscemi. I, I do too. I think. Well, I mean, him and Pete Davidson were in King of Staten Island together, mm-hmm. so they. I think they tapped into that and they knew that, <laughs> so they used that. Um, yeah, I think Buscemi is great. He's like the quintessential character actor. He's just this He's weaselly, so slimy, and then don't, don't they say it's like so? Yeah, you had sex with a little, a little look weird looking fella, didn't you, or something? Yeah, like, that. like I think he's uh, described as a weasel in the movie at one point. 
Yeah, they just, uh, which is just, great. I feel like a lot of characters looking. have um, like animal equivalents mm-hmm. uh, throughout the film, which is kind of strange. But but yeah, he's definitely the weasel of the bunch, and he's fun in it too. Oh, I love I love his. He's great. His I stuff. just it's just great. I just love the. It's just a quick thing, but like they're like him and Buscemi and Stormare are like having like group sex in the hotel, and then it just cuts to them watching the Tonight Show afterwards. <laughs> just that's great stuff. That's that's. Just I funny. love. <laughs> I love it too. Whenever uh, he's like meeting up with the father-in-law at the drop-off spot, and he's like so frustrated. He's like, "What is wrong with you people? Like, you're all so weird." <laughs> like, he does not, he does not vibe with uh, with the small town people of Brainerd. I don't think. Which tremendous, is pretty great. tremendous stuff. <laughs> um, uh, I always have to mention like when this. It, it always sticks out to me when it actually works. But this movie is an hour and forty minutes. Mm-hmm. It's so clean. It's so mm-hmm. contrite. Contrite is that a word? Concise. Mm-hmm. Um, no fat needs to be trimmed. It's everything that's there is perfect. I perfect. Think it's just like a perfect length. Get in, get out. It's it's perfect. So I just I always have to shout that out. It's beautiful. One hundred percent. Do you want to talk about uh, the characters and the accents and how fun the accent work is, really quick? Please, I think it's a good. We need to hit that because it's, it's awesome. so fun. I love Frances McDormand in this too. Um, also, I learned in while during research for this that she's married to Joel Cohen, and I didn't know that. Yeah, and I feel I feel dumb for not knowing that, I guess. But uh, I was like, oh, well, that's that's really cool. It's her his De Niro, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, and De Niro should get married too. That'd be nice. God, they should. I think that um, I think you either love this or hate this because of the accents. I think you either find it really yeah. deg- like degrading to the ear. Or you were just like, I love ab- it. Absolutely, give me. It's more so of this. fun, and it, it's it leans into that so much with the dark comedy stuff too. Like, mm-hmm. like him, like the father in law getting shot, and it just cuts up to him. He's like, oh geez, <laughs> and like, like that's so good, so funny. It's um, so good, and she's like, I mean, my, we'll get to it when we talk about scenes, but like when Marge just like, no, I just think I'm gonna barf, like <laughs> just all of it is just so so good the line delivery the the acts it's just all it just makes it 10 times funnier and and william h macy in this is giving such a complex performance that i don't think a lot of people could do Mm-mm. it it's just so because it's so subtle but also like he's so weak and slimy but so sure of himself and also so stupid at the same time and yeah it, and he's doing it out of fear and desperation but I also think... he's like apathetic and doesn't think anything through. It's just so fascinating. And it, it's there's so many weird layers to it. I think you can sum up his character in one scene where he's rehearsing the phone call. Yes. To that was his like, idea, by the way. That was not in the script. He thought it genius. would be a, a good thing to do. It's amazing. hundred percent. Like him rehearsing um, how like empathetic and distraught that he is. Yeah. And he he's in it and then he has to like get the operator, whoever, and he's like goes back to normal for a second like, yeah that's just that's... it's so crazy and also i love how that that scene being like kind of maybe not improvised per se but like added in after the fact i feel like that leads to uh his father-in-law practicing in the car also which is just kind of this interesting way mm-hmm. that we see these two guys like of when facing the people that they fear um him like and in that case it was william H. macy calling his father-in-law to tell him i think that like she was stolen yeah. and kidnapped um and then like his was like facing the actual guy who kidnapped i don't know i, I just yeah. think that's kind of an interesting parallel that you get that wouldn't have been there uh that's without great. macy which is great 
my uh my final thing that works is just the button on it all like all of this shit happens and the silver lining at the end of the movie is just that brings you back down to to earth is this guy gets his mallard on the three cent stamp norm gets it done and you're just like wow these small town successes in this small town like you have all these crazy stuff i love back down to humanity oh yeah i mean my whole letterbox review was just about how great norm was that's all i got he's so great john carroll lynch the zodiac killer love it yeah um i don't think they ever um like i like it's not like talked about in the movie i don't think but like they came up with the whole backstory for their marriage and how it works to kind of get these intimate details and stuff. Hmm. And something that they worked out together was that he was also a cop who like once they started dating or like got married, he retired because she was the better of the two at their job. And he became an artist, which I think is so, so great. So like all the times when he's like listening in on stuff, like he, like he's not like, you know, taken aback by it because he also did that type of work. But I, I just think that's so good. I love that so much. Um, and I love that he paints mallards and that's his thing. What a he's, guy. Just, he's such a guy. Like, what a dude. Um, do you have anything else? Because I have one more thing. That's it. Tell me yeah. yours. Um, I just wanted to talk about like the recurring themes of like deceit within this movie being like kind of interesting too. Um, starting with the premise of like it opens with the false based on a true story and like yeah. the way that like we are influenced by media. Uh, throughout this movie which isn't like the main theme at all but like definitely like an interesting undertone um but you have like jerry's multiple lies buying into narratives that weren't true to begin with like he's he's telling people that the ransom was only eighty thousand dollars so he can pocket the like the 780 or whatever and then you have steve buscemi who gets that money and he hides a bunch of it and he's telling people that there's other stuff um you have mike who is lying about being married to a widow um you have Wade and Jerry practicing their lines, uh, which is definitely up there. Um, and then like the character's disillusionment within the media in the movie is really interesting. You have like the wife, William H. Macy's wife, who is, or I guess Jerry's wife, who is watching like this talk show, like while she's like crocheting or knitting or something. And she's like talking to them as if she is like, just Part like of having, having lunch with the gals. Yeah. And then, and again, this is like the dark comedy aspect of it contrasted with a guy in a ski mask coming in and like looking through the window and she's so frozen. She doesn't know what to do in this real life situation. Yeah. I don't know. I just think there's something interesting. And like you have so many scenes throughout the movie where um, a character is watching TV and it's, I don't know, maybe it's just like coming back to that thing where I mentioned where like, we're all kind of animals in this. Yeah. And like you have, um, marge who at the very end like they're watching this i think i think this is at the end of the movie when they're talking about the stamp there's like or maybe it's like like almost like all the way through the movie but like they're watching tv of that beetle talking about giving birth and like this cycle that's starting again i don't know there's just something interesting with that layer of like how the characters consume media and how it's kind of desensitizing and they don't have proper reactions to like the real world issues yeah. that are going on and i don't know i just think that's kind of kind of fascinating i think it just lends to the the greater message that they're giving that just like us and like the midwest or like the northern midwest portion of the country are just it, it all false pretenses put on this happy face where underneath there's like there's just like nothing like you have all these troubles down below that we get these contrasts of and visuals in the movie and but it's just all buried down just to be polite to everybody and 
and maybe there's something to it too of like because it's the midwest and it's so bare and nothing really happens like they do mm-hmm. get a lot of their fascination and enthrallment in media like you yeah. have the father-in-law who the most emotive he ever is throughout the whole movie is when he's watching that hockey game yeah um Golfers. and like he's and like yeah i don't know i just think there's something interesting there where like maybe it's just a contrast of their bleak and boring lives that even yeah. when something interesting happens in real life they just don't even know how to like have a normal reaction to it mm-hmm. yeah but I, I don't know I, I think that's pretty interesting there um but yeah deceit and media and disillusionment kind of some interesting stuff uh underneath the main stuff but Beautiful. uh yeah carter what is your favorite scene of fargo i just want to start with the abduction scene that yeah just is so poorly executed yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh when you did and you already just kind of mentioned it a little bit that he just looks in the glass just breaks down the window <laughs> the other guy uh, Bushemi busts through the door and she like bites Stormare's hand and yeah goes she and- runs up the stairs like a dog and then like hides in the bathroom <laughs> and yeah the whole uh, the whole like leaving the bathroom window open and then hiding in the shower is such a cliche at yep. this point but Maybe they were one of the first to do it in uh, 1996. Who knows? But, well, then uh, they turn it on its head where she just is trapped in the shower curtain and trips down the stairs. So that's yeah. just just tremendous. Yeah. So, uh, uh, amazing she didn't die during that part. Uh, yeah. Which is just crazy. Um, yeah, that's amazing. That's a great scene. Yeah, I had to start with that. But I think probably my first one that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in is when the two get pulled over yeah. for the first time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you have anything before this, but um... no, that's the one I really wanted to talk about. Just like how great, good of a scene you have Bushimi who is like really pissed because they, they still have the dealer plates, right? Is that what, why yeah, they, they pulled didn't, over? they didn't put the, he didn't put the new plates on. He still had. Yeah. Plates. He didn't yeah. switch the plates. That he got over. in the trade with Jerry yeah. for this terrible, stupid plan. <laughs> so dumb. Um, amazing. But yeah. The, and Bushemi's driving. She's trying to keep it cool. And, you know, this cop is still just really polite. You know, he's doing the whole Minnesota yeah. thing. And then just, and then Stormer just grabbing his head and just shooting him. And it's like a fountain, like when the blood spews yeah. out of his head. And well, he also, I love the Bushimi being like, I got this. And he like tries oh, to bribe yeah. him with like the $50 bill or something like that. And like, he's what's that, like, sir? Need, yeah. yeah. And he's like, I need you to step out. Yeah, I was uh, going to tape up those, uh, the tag. You know, to be in full compliance, but uh, must have uh, must have slipped my mind. So maybe the best thing to do would be to take care of that right here in Brainerd. What's this, sir? My license and registration. Yeah, I want to be in compliance. I was just thinking we could take care of it right here in Brainerd. Put that back in your pocket, please. And step out of the car, please, sir. And then that's where, yeah, he gets shot. And it is it is like a really gruesome gunshot. Yeah. Uh, that you don't typically see. Um, yeah, it's which, brutal. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. And, um, and then the car pulling up and, like, they just look. And, like, it shows, like, that eye that like eyesight meeting each other and oh it's so so crazy how he just takes the wheel and chases them down but you have that shot too where you see the taillights like the red the red the red and then they're gone 
And then you just see, and like you see that the cars flipped and like they're crawling, the guy's running away, he gets shot. And then there's, Mm -hmm. you know, one more person in the passenger seat stuck who got left behind, by the way. That's fucked up. Yeah, Um, that's rough. (laughs) That's, that's really messed up. Um, But yeah, super brutal. Yeah, that scene is just really, it's just so, it's very intense and like Mm -hmm. expertly shot. So that's probably my, one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. what about you? You could take it away now because that's kind yeah, of yeah. I was just saying. gonna say the introduction of of Marge is really really good. Um, of course you get like the the, the fun phone. pleasantries on the phone, oh, and then geez. you get to oh, geez. And I love how it's like a third of the way into the movie. Like it feels like a classic. Like this is cinema. Like we're getting like our main character. Like yeah, like thirty deep. minutes in. Yeah. yeah. Um, really fun. Uh, the Coen Brothers like to do some interesting stuff like of perspective changes like throughout weird moments of their movies i think that worked out really well yeah um this being just a fantastic one but yeah you get of course like the dinner or the breakfast scene with with norm and but then her going out uh to the to the scene and like saying how she doesn't really uh what is it like the um don't think I agree with your police work there, yeah. Lou. Yeah, so <laughs> good. Like, oh, and then like you just kind of see her like do her thing, and it's like, oh, she knows what she's doing. She's good. She's good at this. Oh yeah, just that whole her and Lou pulling up to the scene, and they're just like triple homicide, huh? Like they're just so <laughs> chipper, and we got a shooting. These folks drive by. There's a high speed pursuit ends here, and then this execution type deal. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if our suspect was from Brainerd. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. From his footprint, he looks like a big fella. You see something down there, Chief? No, I just think I'm going to barf. Jeez. It's just, and then like, and, like then, said, and then at the same time, this is such like such an testament to the movie too, of her being like, I think I'm going to barf. And then like <laughs> it cuts, um, then like then it's like, are you good? And she's like, yeah, I'm hungry. Let's go get some food. Yep. <laughs> and like it's just like so so funny. God, I love that scene. Yeah, that's all just that's great. Um, my next one after that is just I love Marge meeting with the prostitutes. Um, yeah, and that I is think really good. I think just solely because I just love listening to them. Like they're yeah. just so fun to listen to. Then she's like, so you were having sex with the little fella? Then it's just. <laughs> Oh, just, just such great dialogue and just such great yeah. delivery by everyone involved. Um, yeah. I also had written down, it's not like my favorite scene, but I think it's the scene that's like almost the most or the first dramatic human scene we see is when Mike and Marge go to dinner at the Radisson. Yeah. Where it's so weird. It's so weird. And you're like, what's going on here? And you th- you think that this guy is kind of pouring his heart and soul out. To her, but then later you find out he was lying about it. Like it all up. He lied to that it's like his wife died of leukemia. But they were never together to and begin were, with. And yeah. She's still alive. And, and then, yeah, yeah. So all that is just like, wow. Like everyone's just like really putting on this false front. And yeah. So yeah. And we already talked about the, sh- the, the blocking of that scene too, which is, which mm-hmm. is just great. It's um, really good. Um, but do you have any others? Uh, I mean, I have the big one at the end. So if you got any other ones that you want to shout out, like be my guest. I'll quickly shout out the money drop gone wrong that we already talked about. Yeah. Him so shooting good. him, like shooting him in the cheek. In the cheek. Yeah, that's so brutal which, too. Which is so cool. And he's like trying to paste it together in the car. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And but, also, like, Steve Buscemi, this is so crazy. Like, this is maybe a negative, but, like, I think it's so funny. Like, he's buried a million dollars, like, basically a million dollars somewhere, and he's fighting over this one fucking car and gets killed because of it. Like, and it's like, dude, just, like, take take your win and go. Like, you do not need to risk it with this crazy guy. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, there's that. I just have to shout out the scene where the officer meets up with the guy shoveling the snow. He like pulls up and he tells him this whole story. He just goes off like just on yeah. this big monologue. And then at the end, they're like, end of story. And then they're like, oh, it's going to snow. I think it's going to snow soon. Yeah. Just, I just love that scene so much. Um, And then finally I have Marge finds the car and the wood chipper. So yeah. Talk yeah. The it. wood chipper scene is so insane. Um, Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? It's crazy. It's It's, it's a crazy scene. Yeah. It's this tension like she sh- she sees the car cuz she's driving around the lake she sees the car and you slowly start to hear it grow the sound grows stronger but you hear this kind of sawing noise and you don't know what it is and then you see again just this dark red blood on the yeah, snow, the contrast the contrast all up pooled on the snow and then you just see Stormare's character like shoving it his like Buscemi's foot down with a log and yeah <laughs> And he's like the rest of his body's just like laying there to the side, like he hasn't gotten to it all yet. Um she's trying to yell like police and he can't hear yeah, it. Yeah, and he can't even hear it. And then she's like, she's holding the gun, she's like, police, and then she like points to her hat as if he like doesn't figure it yeah. out. It's and then he just starts running and yeah. He gets shot on the ice and mm-hmm. oh, that's crazy. Ah, it's just such yeah, just such a great scene. And and then just the the button on on the end of it, like that money just like it's still buried out there. Like we don't know who anyone get the money. We don't know. It's still there. Surely someone will find it. Cause there's a lot of blood over there, but yeah. Is it just buried underneath? Well, the money is buried on off the interstate. Yeah. Uh, with the, the stake, like with the, the ice scraper. Yeah. The ice scraper. So I guess it's probably just under the snow. So maybe it'll be found come springtime, I guess. I don't know if he buried it. He probably couldn't bury it under the ground or anything, but yeah, he just like, moved some fake snow around apparently and, <laughs> and buried it. Um, I would this. Okay. Would you be able to find it again? Like, would you have not, a, like, I don't know. Like I wouldn't be able to drop a pin. I'd be screwed. I don't, I don't know if Buscemi would like, I, if anyone maybe are in the area, like knows where that is. I, I wouldn't be able to like, maybe if you're like born there, you're like, that's where it is. Like if but he's I buried, not from there. No, like if I buried something in Bloomington, Indiana, I think I you could maybe it. find it. I could probably okay. find it, but Oh, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I just trust myself, especially <laughs> off a highway. Everything on the highway in the winter looks exactly the same. I would just be so fence. And, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, so, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, were there any scenes in there that we skipped, missed, didn't touch that you wanted uh, to None that I didn't talk about earlier. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I think those pretty much cover it. Um, okay. Do you have a quick favorite quote? There's more to life than a little money, you know. Don't you know that? I mean, that's the that's great. That's the button at the end of the movie. Yeah. So that's pretty good. That's mine. What do you got? I'm cooperating here. You're darn tootin'. And <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Anything, any of the Minnesota vernaculars is okay yeah. in my book. I unironically said, oh, geez, today, like on accident. And I was like, oh, man, 
watching awesome. too much Fargo. <laughs> watching I too much Fargo. I've never watched the show. We didn't even mention like that. We're kind of talking about this because like there's a new season, season five of Fargo out. coming out. Yeah. But I've never watched a single season. So and... I watched the pilot of it last week and I meant yeah. to watch more of it, but I've just been kind of caught up in other stuff. But uh, it's amazing. It It's obviously like different, but similar. Um, every season's not, a different cast, I think, right? It's a different cast. Yeah, the first one so far is Martin Freeman of Wakanda Forever thing. <laughs> and uh, who apparently is just like a really shitty guy in real life, which is kind of interesting. Um, very tough. And Billy Bob Thornton, who is so good That's and so scary in this. Um, yeah, so far I like it. I think I'll definitely at least finish the first season. Uh, but I think John Hamm's in the newest season, and people are seemingly liking it. John so. Hamm, Juno Temple. I know you and McGregor's in a season. I, I definitely want to check that out. Um, big you and yeah, McGregor fan. So yeah, there's definitely some TV I gotta watch. So yeah, for sure. Um, and it's an FX show, so like the quality, you know, it, it's gonna be there. It's good stuff with with them. Um, moving on to uh, Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. You have any negatives you'd like to talk about? They're not even really, ne- they're just kind of nitpicks because I was really yeah. struggling to find some some negatives that I didn't like about this movie. Um, I just have a question, like what happens to the their son? What happens to the kid at the end of this? You know, he's like, he's got nobody. His mom's dead. His mom like <laughs> sucked in the oven fumes, right? And, yeah. She, uh, well, like it's, it's presumed that like he maybe like shut her up, right? Like it was also yeah. like she was being annoying. He probably like pistol whipped her or something. Yeah, like who something. knows? But yeah, and his dad's in jail for probably a long time so i just wonder probably what happens to the a kid. really long time because grandpa's dead too i don't know what what happens yeah. to this kid so there's that it's and this really... poor kid who is like being so empathetic and worried and like he's and like there's this scene where Scotty. the business partner is asking jerry like what about your son oh my god like what's he gonna think and he's like oh he's yeah like, like i haven't even thought of like he's so shitty he hasn't even thought about how his son's his son. gonna feel through all yeah. of this also um, it's so weird i gotta say really quick maybe this isn't it big this kid looks cool like he seems like a cool kid mm-hmm. and then you get to his bedroom and there is an accordion player poster <laughs> on his door that is so lame um that's maybe, all I gotta say on that. maybe that's cool in minnesota I maybe, don't know. maybe that's really cool in minnesota that's a good point um, i don't know but i thought that was such a weird detail it didn't really fit from what <laughs> i saw from his character <laughs> Um, the only nitpick I have is the character of Shep, who mm-hmm. is like the middleman between Buscemi and Stormare and yeah. uh, Jerry. Like, maybe don't have him be like the indigenous tribes person who is like in the middle of narcotics and like being yeah, like, that's has fair. a bad rap. That's literally all, all I kind of got out of it. Yeah. Um, because they they kind of mentioned that detail, like you're on parole with a narcotics charge. Yeah. And I feel like that's a cliche, but also, you know, maybe that's like the one story. person of, of color the, too. Yeah. Like, like the movie is very white. That's not a complaint yeah. that I have. I don't think there's a lot of white people or yeah, black the, people the, in Minnesota. If I, yeah. The setting is. Yeah. So, so it's yeah, like, I, well, it's especially like that area is like such a like Swedish, like, like Nordic, like yeah. set, settlement, like all their last names are all very, you know, strange to us. Yeah. But like very, very common yeah Yeah. it's like pretty interesting stuff um Mm -hmm. but yeah that is i I totally agree with you there i didn't even think about that um that's all i got what about you my one nitpick is uh while wood chipping a body is like brutal and horrific if your plan is to hide the body 
maybe it's not to be fair i don't know what his thinking i don't know process his process. for this yeah but there's blood everywhere dude like you could have just buried it under a little bit of snow and you probably would have been better off um like that's just a crazy thing to do there's a frozen lake right behind you just go dump it in there somehow like not I, the I don't know like wood chipper is crazy um also just thinking about your disillusionment to media comment like Stormare's character is loving watching that show whatever he's he's really into it when yeah. he discovers like he's like oh I can't remember yeah. what the big stinger is but he's like oh <laughs> so anyway yeah, that's another one beautiful yeah i don't know um yeah that's like really the only um not a lot it's pretty yeah pretty there's not a tight, lot of issues the accordion poster mostly <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah um, let's move on to you like me, you really like me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. Uh, and talk about the awards. Uh, we talked about, you know, the little French awards it got already. But let's talk Oscars. Um, it was nominated for a few, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography. And then it won for uh, Leading Actress. Uh, with Frances McDormand and Best Original Screenplay, which is pretty cool. Nice. Who was the supporting actor, Nam? Was it Macy? Uh, Macy, yeah. It was nice. Macy. Um, cool. I don't know who he lost to, but he was he was doing a lot. I don't know who it would have been. 96. Boy, I don't know. That was the English patient year. Mm-hmm. That's all I can tell you. I've never even heard of that, but okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Golden Odie, who, who are you giving it to? I got to give it to Frances McDormand. Yeah. Um, just pitch perfect. She's anytime she's on the screen, I want to watch her and listen to her. And yeah. sh- so she's, yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah. Is that yours? Knowing, knowing you were going to do Frances McDormand, I gave it to Steve Buscemi just cause nice. he's, he's good. He's so good in this. I, I think he's, I don't know. I feel like he's just doing the goon like the best way. Like he is just like, He's just a guy like who who wants to do crime and he's gross and disgusting and he's Steve Shimmy a hundred percent. Gets he delivers. It's exactly gets, what you want. He gets so fired up. I I just remembered when he's like he goes to the airport and tries to park there and he leaves. He's like I decided not to park here and he's like well, I still got to charge you the four dollars and he's like you yeah fucking, you're t-. and he's like, yeah he's so it's mad four dollars. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, and who are you giving your squeaker to? I am giving my squeaker to the young couple who crashed their car into the snow. <laughs> um, I admire the, I don't know if, so it's unclear. Do they try to turn off their lights to avoid him mm-hmm. or is it because they spun? I out? assumed, I assumed you don't see the lights because they flipped their car off the road. Okay. And that's why we don't see it. Um, um, but that's smart too. That so I don't, I, I don't know. I think did. the lights are on whenever they turn back, but that's not to say that once they crash, maybe they came on or something. That's a good point. Um, um but yeah, then in in which case, then my squeaker is going to the man who was driving the car because <laughs> he runs and abandons his. That's that's another, super so. fucked up. Um, Tough. Yeah, I feel favorite. like you probably would have been better off just like driving like a reasonable pace and not flipping your car because like. He's yeah, gonna he have to like, the hit you off risk. the road. Yeah, yeah. like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. You can maybe get back to civilization before. I wouldn't want to be in that position. I'm yeah, I'm not gonna think of the hypothetical of what I could do because <laughs> I don't know what I would do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my squeaker is going to Jerry's bag fumble. Um, that shit. I I don't. Do we know why he's in debt in the beginning? Like, he's just in debt. Like, he just really, says really like, I'm in trouble. Yeah, I, really... maybe maybe gambling. Who knows? He, yeah. he owes money. 
Um, and then he has this scheme to get his own wife kidnapped. And then he's going to lie to the people who he's kid, who he hired to kidnap. He's going to lie about the amount. So he's double crossing them. He's double crossing his father-in-law. And then he's just like, going to like, this is so stupid too. Cause like, does he still want to build the, like the parking lot thing after he gets the money or does he just want to get that money and then pay it off? I don't, like, is he gonna like what's like I don't know what he wants to do there per se because he seems dumb like that seems like a dumb plan I don't think he, we if know he gets, it if he does the ransom and then just has the money and buys the parking lot thing yeah I feel like people would get really suspicious but I don't, I don't think know. we have any idea because I don't think the character has any idea of what's to come yeah next. and I think that's the point <laughs> but but yeah you're right it's a, I mean it's a flawed plan all all around it's it's tough it's not thought well through well enough so yeah tough <laughs> sweet uh let's move on to surely you can't be serious surely you can't be serious i am serious and don't call me Shirley. where i tell you some trivia um let's start with uh when carl showalter which is steve Buscemi, uh calls jerry lundegaard uh for the deal to be done he tells them 30 minutes and we'll wrap this up from that moment the film's running time left is exactly 30 minutes which is I, fun. I love when filmmakers do that stuff shit. like that is so That's good awesome Ugh, so good do you think like sometimes like they really have to cut some stuff too because they really want it to be exactly 30 minutes like i bet they do Ugh. they're like but we gotta do this because yeah gotta, we gotta pull this trick off yeah so fun yeah it's great um the scene where the couple tries to make a deal with Jerry is based on Ethan's on Ethan Cohen's real life encounter with the car salesman. Um, where he's talking about like getting like the true sealant or true coat, coat I think is what true it coat, is. Yeah. Um, he said, "quote It's almost a verbatim transcript of my experience, which is pretty fun. <laughs> um, that would be so annoying and just like." Oh, and like yeah, he comes back in and he's so like, infuriating too. Great news, I can knock off a hundred dollars. Yeah, off the true coat. Yeah, um, so stupid. I love it. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, even though the movie takes place mostly in Brainerd, Minnesota, the Cohen brothers decided to call it Fargo, which is in North Dakota. That's just because they liked the sound of it for the title better than Brainerd, which was quote not cool enough. Iconic. Um, and Fargo I is where Jerry uh, meets the two t- the two goons that he hires to kidnap his wife. So so that's where it ties in. Um, it is it does not take place basically at all in Fargo though, which is a does the thing. show do the same thing? Do you... you know? I'm not fur enough. I don't think it is in Fargo because okay. it feels very much like the Aujis area, okay. and maybe Fargo's not as much like that. I don't know. So uh, maybe Minnesota, Dakota area. Yeah, it still feels um, very much like that. But I would be kind of curious to see how they explain that the title is Fargo every single time <laughs> for the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Um, uh, Grimm's Rudd uh, has eight. Is that how you say it? Is that Grimm's Rude, maybe? Is that, is that how you say it? Who is this? Storm Storm Rare. God, oh, he has two Storm hard Storm names. character. Storm um, Grim yeah, sure. Red. Yes. Sure. He has 18 lines of dialogue in the entire movie and never says more than a complete sentence at one time. By comparison, Sibushimi's character has over 150 lines of dialogue, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, man, awesome. a few words, which I just, think is great. Just that scene in the car where he's like, yep, we're not going to talk. Total silence. <laughs> uh, Bushimi is such a gem. Yeah, like, I, I love him. Um, 
Frances McDormand wore a pregnancy pillow filled with bird seed to simulate her pregnant belly. And she says that she didn't deliberately try to move in a pregnant way. It simply came as natural as a natural response to keeping the extra weight balanced, which is pretty fun. Um, Ooh, this one's pretty fun. The wood chipper used in the movie is now on display at the Fargo Moorhead Visitor Center. So you can go (laughs) see that in Fargo, which is kind of cool. I know why I'm going to Fargo now. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, three weeks into shooting, Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen revealed to their cast and crew that this was not, in fact, based on a true story. So they actually thought it was for a little bit um, until they they had gotten into shooting for a while, which is That's pretty fun. Right. Love that. Um, tricksters. Mm-hmm. I got two more for you. Uh, Francis McDormand worked with a pregnant cop from St. Paul to research the role, which I think is pretty neat. Wow. And the trademark Minnesotan yeah appears 179, 179 times in the script, which yeah. is crazy. Oh, That's yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. Um, Carter, does this pass the Bechtel test? Yes. Interesting. With, with who? Do they? Wait, let me think about it. Maybe it does. I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I guess not because, yeah, even in like interrogations, they're talking about a man. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the prostitute scene in, in general. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess maybe it doesn't. That's crazy though, because there's definitely a female presence in the movie. Mm-hmm. Totally. But... but yeah, does not, I don't think, hmm. pass the Bechtel test. Okay. Because the only other thing I could think about too was when she's calling her friend, who I don't think has a name, which would probably instantly disqualify her. But if she did, they're talking about Mike. They're talking so about that, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't count either. Gotcha. Um, Yep. Does it pass the Rick Dalton meme test? I can't. Did they say Fargo? Yeah. You okay, betcha. Just making sure. Just making sure. Because I just remember like th- they have the title card at the beginning, but I couldn't remember if they said it. You betcha. Uh, great. Oh, yeah. You're right. At the beginning. Like, how was it up in Fargo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Let's move on to what's in the box. Oh, what's in the box? Carter, do you have any fun reviews you'd like to share with the class? Yes. My first one, Josh, four stars. It's just, Yeah. I thought that was a pretty good one. Perfect. Uh, I have a four star from Bryn Peterson. Uh, 60% yeah, 30% you betcha, 10% darn tootin. Love that <laughs> as well. And finally, my last one is three and a half stars from Luca. Uh, no offense to anybody who lives in Minnesota, but if I had to listen to those accents every day, I would want Peter Stormare to stuff me into a wood chipper. So <laughs> pretty harsh, but amazing. Yeah, love it. What about you? I got two forest ones from Amaya, and it's a four star. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says top two favorite moments. Uh, one is when Steve Buscemi is covered in someone else's brains, distressingly muttering "Whoa, Daddy!" And then the <laughs> other one is when Francis McDormand was on screen. <laughs> so there you go. Damn. And this is from Netscape with five stars. Quote: Elite white people cinema, and that's just the truth. This is true. <laughs> Won't apologize for it. Um, Carter, where would you rank this in the RCR top 100? Oh, boy. Well, it's definitely near the top. Yeah. Because we both have given it five stars, I believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so where does that start us? Like, I think, is it America, around American Psycho territory where we both have five stars? I think stars? it's higher, personally. I do, too. I'm just, I'm trying to get a, uh, just a yeah, yeah, starting yeah, sure. point. Let's here. Let's, like, skip up. Is it above sk- Psycho? Mm-hmm. Love it. I love where this is going. Um, above everything, everywhere, all at once. For me, for me, yeah. And above Dead Poets Society. So this is this is where it gets the road. 
I feel like it's maybe above Dead Poet Society, below Jurassic Park. It's definitely like around that for me. I think I'm kind of so. curious where you think. I think definitely top five for sure. Um, you want to sandwich it between Jurassic Park and Dead Poets, maybe? I think for now? That, that feels right. I think that okay. feels right, or at least I right like that now. Too. Yeah, two very different movies, Jurassic Park and Fargo. But yeah, I like that there. Okay, so number four. I love it. Sweet. Love it. We'll have to see where our other Cohen movies will land eventually. So that'll be fun conversation to have. Um, wonderful. What's next? Next, we're doing You Feeling Lucky. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? And I just wanted to talk about some things with you. Um, get talk, a pen man. and paper if you can. I have a pen and I have paper. Okay. Um, I just have two questions. One is just a really stupid one, but I, I want to see if you remember from the movie. How many people were killed in the movie? Oh, boy. Okay. Um, his wife is one. The cop is two. The two people in the car, three and four. Um, Grandpa is five. Oh, he kills the parking attendant, too. When he's driving out six. Is that it? I want to say, I'll say seven to be safe. Was yeah, because you for, you forgot the big one. What's the big one? Oh, Buscemi. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what happened? Yeah, it, it's uh, seven total kills, five from Grismond and two from Showalter, which is pretty fun. Did Buscemi just not open the guy just not open the gate and he was mad or he was like loose ends got to get this guy out. Or... I think he was really angry yeah. and also probably loose ends. But it's kind of funny that the guy who was working the job just didn't even bother to like report a gunshot that he heard above his head, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Just chilling. Um, maybe. Yeah. And, and anyways, um, so think speaking of the wood chipper, uh-huh. I thought this would be so stupid. Love it. I love where it's going. But, some people going into a wood chipper would take longer because they're taller. Some would take, <laughs> some would take less time because they're shorter. Huh. Carter, I would like you to rank these ten characters by who would be wood chipped based on their height the quickest. So just re- get ready to write down the, the characters. So you can have them all in your head. Okay. Um, we got Shrek. <laughs> okay. Shrek. Wolverine. Wolverine. George Costanza. Frodo Baggins. Okay. Danny DeVito. Oh, no. Plankton from SpongeBob. Okay. Papa Smurf. Okay. Rocky Balboa. Mm hmm. Hagrid. Ooh. And James Bond. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Uh, uh, First would be. Easiest first. Mm-hmm. Plankton, I think, would be the easiest. Yeah. He's a few millimeters tall. That'd be pretty quick. <laughs> um, Papa Smurf, probably next. Yes. Do you know his canonical height? Um, I think he is a foot tall. He is three apples tall. That's how tall a Smurf is. <laughs> okay. Learn something <laughs> new today. Um, okay. Then... I'm ooh. I think Frodo next, probably. Yep, he is four foot one inch. 
Is there correct? There's a correct answers to these. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm, so far you're correct. Yeah. Okay. Now it gets dicey because DeVito and Costanza are very similar in my eyes. <laughs> um, I'll go. I feel like DeVito is shorter. So I'll go DeVito. Next. DeVito is the next one at four foot, 10 inches. Wow. What a guy. He's a short man. Um. So then Costanza. Yeah. Then Costanza. No, not Costanza. Shrek. No, what? <laughs> I guess I'm just going off height. Well, yeah, that's what the game is. Is Costanza taller than Rocky or James Bond? You're missing somebody that I don't think you're thinking of. I have Shrek. Oh, Wolverine is tiny, but I was thinking he's hard to destroy. No, we're just doing height. He would oh, let's say okay. let's, the blades are made of. Okay, just height. Okay, then Wolverine's next because he's a short king, right? Yeah. Okay. He is five foot three. Yeah, he is next. Okay, then Costanza. Then George Costanza, five foot five. Inches. Okay, and Shrek is tall, so not Shrek. <laughs> I think Stallone is. T- Which James Bond are you doing? I went with the canonical height of the oh, book, boy. James Bond. <laughs> um, I think Stallone is. I'm gonna go Rocky next. I think he's short. Rocky is five foot eleven, so not super short. Oh, but that's uh, how tall I am. Oh well, there you go. Not nice. super short. That's what so, I would say. Thank you. Appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> so then Bond? <laughs> then James Bond. He is canonically six feet tall. Is Shrek taller or Hagrid? <laughs> I'm going to say Shrek is at nine and then Hagrid's ten. Yeah. Shrek right. is seven foot two and Hagrid is eight foot six inches. Ooh, Hagrid. Boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So Plankton, Papa Smurf, Frodo, DeVito, Wolverine, Costanza, Rocky, Bond, Shrek, Hagrid. Yep, there you go. You nailed it. Incredible. It's like those videos you see on TikTok of the guys rolling the bottles down the stairs, seeing which one (laughs) step it breaks on. That was stupid. That was dumb. That was was content within content. That's that's what dreams are made of right there. That's beautiful. Uh, Amazing. I think we're done, buddy. I think we did it. Um, next week, we're going to tackle some Studio Ghibli talk, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe discuss. I don't know if we will have seen The Boy and the Heron. I don't know I'm if we will. try to, but uh, you never we'll, know. We'll do our best, but we'll maybe do a top five Ghibli movie. It'll be fun. Talk like about that. what we like about Miyazaki and his his films, which will be a, a fun convo to have. So, Yeah. That's what we'll be into next week. And Jackson, where can the people follow us on the socials? So TikTok and Instagram. They can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at roughcut underscore pod. Carter, where can they follow us on Twitter? At roughcut underscore co. Like, comment, subscribe, hit that bell. I don't know what you do on all these (laughs) things, but repost, do all the things (laughs) and follow along and listen on Spotify. Or Apple Podcasts, but prefer Spotify if you're there. Film me up if or you're listening. Up, yeah. yeah. Shout what out up? to you guys. What up? What up? <laughs> what up? We love the Midwest, even though we talked about it in some 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 different uh hindsights today. But yeah. yeah, we love you. We love you. We love you. We live in you. I live in you still. Jackson doesn't. Mm-hmm. But yes. Uh wonderful. We'll see you guys next week. Happy December and toodaloo. Bye. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.